Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Just going to get this stuff set up. While I get it set up and Danny's still in the room, I'm going to embarrass him for the fourth time today. How many people are thankful for Danny? I am. You know, I was thinking this week about what a blessing um, he is and he's been to our community at Risen King. Um, everything that he does, every area of ministry that he's responsible for is done with excellence. And um, I can attest to that. I see the behind the scenes stuff. I know and I can tell you that he is a man of character, integrity. He loves God. He loves his family. And he loves this church so deeply. I see him pour so much time and energy and prayer and focus into this ministry. And so I just want to say how thankful I am. And I think I speak for everybody. Can we give him one round, more round of applause and say thank you to Danny. He's awesome. Great addition to our family here. Uh, and he's been here just over a year, right? A little bit over a year. So awesome stuff. Okay. You guys made it. Turn to somebody and say, we made it. That snow was crazy. I, I never watched the news, but um, yesterday I was home alone, uh, which is weird to have four kids and a wife and then be home alone. That's a very weird feeling. But anyways, I was home alone yesterday morning, so I turned on the news for the first time in like three years, and I cannot believe the fear-mongering that happened about the storm that never came. Like, watching the news at 9 a.m., they had live shots from Home Depot and, like, shovels flying off the shelves and everything and salt, and then nothing happened. It just, it reinforced my philosophy to not watch the news. But anyways, here we are. I'm thankful that we're all here and able to, to hear from God together. Um, I think God has some cool stuff for us in store. I'm going to use notes on a computer here because I'm not as cool as Pastor Mike. They can do it without notes. And uh, I think the first thing God has for us is a joke. So I'm going to tell you a little joke so that we can laugh. I think that laughing is good in church. Amen? We can even practice it now because the joke's terrible. So you need to laugh (laughs) before. So a guy goes on vacation to the Holy Land with his wife and his mother-in-law. This is going to get me in trouble. The mother-in-law dies. So the couple go to an undertaker who explains that they can ship the body home, but it will cost over $5,000, whereas burying her in the Holy Land would cost only $150. We'll ship her home, the guy says. So the undertaker asks, are you sure? That's an awfully big expense, and we can do a very nice burial right here in the Holy Land. The guy says, look, About 2,000 years ago, they buried a guy here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that kind of chance. It's bad, right? I knew that was going to get me in trouble. Listen, I love my mother-in-law. She's a saint. She's uh, with my four kids right now so that I could focus on preaching, and my wife's out of town at an Empower retreat through uh, the seminary. So I love my mother-in-law. Don't be so, you guys took that like serious. Like I really, it's just a joke. All right. Anyways, I'm glad we got that out of the way. We're talking today about waiting on God. It goes so well with uh, really what Farrell and the worship team and Danny already led us through. 
during the worship service, uh, they, they landed on a, a really important theme, be still before the Lord. And we're going to continue talking about that. How about Farrell too? Farrell's an incredible worship leader. Man, I was sitting there getting a little nervous for my job, you know, I was like, thought, uh-oh, maybe he's too good. He's a little too good. Just kidding. I love Farrell. And he came up to me and said, don't worry, I'm not gunning for your job, man. You're, you're safe. So there, there's a problem. Uh, our society is obsessed with waiting on God, obsessed with it. I think you guys would agree that in so many facets of our culture and our society, we're, we're finding ways to cut down wait time all over the place. Amazon has built an empire on figuring out how to cut down wait time. Remember when you used to shop online and everything took like seven to 10 days or five to seven days. And if you wanted it the next day or in two days, it was like $34 to get shipping. And now Amazon, it's like free, you know, next day shipping's free or two days. Some, some cities, places even have same day shipping. They've built an empire on cutting down wait time. And then movie theaters, another silly example from our society in 2019 See, a lot of kids don't know what it's like when you, wanted, when you used to go to the movies, you had to go an hour before the movie started, buy your ticket, grab your seats, you know, especially if you're going with a big group of people, grab your seats and then sit there and stare at a blank screen for 45 minutes or watch bad commercials or whatever. Now you pick up your phone, you can reserve seats days in advance or whenever earlier that day. You can show up to that theater two minutes before the movie starts and you know that your seat is safe. And then I read this earlier this week. Uh, Some of the folks that run airports, whoever those guys are, they uh, realized that they were getting a bunch of complaints about wait time at the baggage claim carousel. So people that had just gotten off of a plane waiting for their bags, they complained that they were standing around too long. I know nobody in here has ever complained about waiting for baggage. So they couldn't, they realized they couldn't do anything to speed up how fast the bags got there. But what they decided to do was move the arrival gates further away from the baggage claim so that you spent more time walking and getting to baggage claim. And what they found was that complaints went down to zero in places where they did this. So they didn't shorten the wait time. They just kept us from standing around, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the carousel to start moving. I know we were being manipulated, but I thought it was pretty genius of them to do that. And then I can't talk about wait time without thinking about the, the trip that my family took a few months ago to Disney World. I'm still getting over the, the trauma that I experienced there. Um, wait time is like you have to avoid wait time at Disney. Disney's no longer a spur-of-the-moment quintessential family vacation. It is a battle to see whose mom is crazy enough. And they get on this app. My wife gets on this app and schedules where we're going to eat lunch and what character is going to come to our table six months in advance of your trip to Disney. You can decide what rides you're going to be on and what day. It's called Fast Pass because everybody's obsessed with avoiding wait time. And, uh, you know, that presents us living in this society presents a, a couple problems because we're called repeatedly to wait on God in scripture. And so we've, we've got a couple problems with that. Let me advance my notes. We're so accustomed to finding ways to shorten wait times that we, I think uh, oftentimes, I know I fall into this category. We think that we can shorten a, a process that God has for us. 
We think that we can microwave a process that he wants us to, to slow down and walk through. And uh, that's a problem. You know, I heard a pastor say earlier this week, the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. And I think that's so, so true. And uh, if I say that three more times, I can just claim it as my own. I don't have to give the other pastor credit. But it, the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. And then the other problem that it presents is that we have equated waiting on God is the same type of waiting that we do at a doctor's office. And we all know that that's a torturous place, the waiting room at a doctor's office. You might be there for, you know, a half an hour or 45 minutes, or you might even only be there 15 minutes, but it feels like four hours. And you find ways to distract yourself. It's a passive kind of waiting. You get on your phone before we had phones that could like, you know, do everything. We would watch the TV screen and we'd read a magazine, whatever we could find to keep us distracted. But here's the problem with that. Waiting on God is not a passive kind of waiting. Waiting on God is active, not passive. Waiting on God is focused, not distracted. That's so good. I think we should say it together. Can you say this after me? Waiting on God is active, not passive. It's focused, not distracted. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to jump into our text, our first text for today in Psalm 37 and see where I'm pulling this out of. See, see what we're basing this new definition of waiting on God on uh, from Psalm 37. If you want to flip there, you can, but we'll only be there for a minute. I will tell you this. If you have your Bible, that ancient leather-bound you know, ink and paper copy, or if you have your Bible like I do on my phone, you could get that out and flip over to Genesis 26 because that's the story that we'll be resting on in a little bit and spending some time on. But before we do that, I just want to see uh, a couple quick things in Psalm 37. David is the author of this psalm, and he writes it towards the end of his life. And um, the, the, the whole chapter, 37, is really like a book of wisdom or a book of Proverbs. Each verse kind of stands on its own. And it's wisdom for us as the people of God to follow, to adhere to. And he says twice, pretty close together, in verse 7 and in verse 9, to wait. In verse 7, he says it like this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then in verse 9, he says, But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. The interesting thing is, you know, our scho- the scholars have translated those two words that he used in verse 7 and verse 9 is the word wait in English. But if you go back to the original text, they actually mean different things. The first one in verse 7 means to be hopeful, expectant. It's an intense focus. The second one means to whirl in the dance, to labor, to bring forth, to birth. And neither one of those things are passive. Both of those things are active. It's not that passive, distracted type of waiting. Looking at verse 9, to whirl in the dance. Can you just think for a minute what kind of activity whirling in the dance is? If I was to whirl in a dance right now, one, I would look like an idiot because I can't dance and there's no music playing. And then the, the other thing is I might be able to jump up off my feet and turn around a little bit, but there's no way I'm going to land well. Whirling in the dance takes planning. It takes practice. It takes skill 
There's growth involved and you have to land well. You have to focus on what you're doing. And this is the word that David uses for wait on the Lord. Isn't that something? I don't know about you, but I I was rocked when I read this. And then the other verse, verse seven, when he said to wait before the Lord, this kind of waiting, again, not a passive waiting, not a distracted waiting. It's a hopeful waiting, an expectant, even joyous. It's an intense focus. I couldn't read this definition and not think about my kids. And my kids love their grandparents, my mom and dad. And when my mom and dad are coming to visit, they live up in Syracuse. When they're coming to visit, first of all, my kids ask me a million times that day, what time are grandma and grandpa coming, right? Because they're excited. They can't wait for it. And then as it gets closer and closer to that time, they jump up into our window in the living room and it's got a a deep ledge. It's a bay window and it hangs over the driveway. So it's actually probably pretty dangerous that they sit up there, but that's, that's a different sermon illustration. Anyways, so they get up there and they press their face against the window and now there's snot and slobber and fingerprints all over it and they can't wait. Any car that goes by, I think I see him, I think I see him. And then finally, when the right car, when their car turns down the street and pulls into the driveway, it's jumping up and down. It's excitement. I start praying over the window that it doesn't collapse. And, you know, all these things are happening. That's joyful, hopeful, expectant, intense, leaning in, focus kind of waiting. And this is the waiting that David calls us to. Now, just hearing these definitions, how many people in here are like me? And you realize that where you've said you've been waiting on God, you've really been wasting time. You know, I mean, I just think about some of the areas in my life and things in my life that I've said, well, I'm waiting on God for this to happen or that to happen or or this person to come into the kingdom or this kind of breakthrough. But in reality, I've just distracted myself from thinking about it. I haven't really been leaning in with that intense focus. Anybody else? fall into that category today. So I think that's, that's one group in this room. And you know what? There's good news. If you've been, if you find yourself, uh, wasting time that you've wasted time and instead of waiting on God, I have a clear message for you that our God is a God of grace, that he can redeem even wasted time. Even I heard this clearly in the last service. And I think it's for this service as well. Any parents in here, that have been waiting for their kids to, to live for God, to return to a relationship to the Lord. I want to tell you right now, lean in. Lean in. Renew that hope. Renew that faith. Renew that focus. And it's okay if you feel like you've wasted some time. God can redeem that. He wants to redeem that. Amen? Amen. And then there's another pitfall, I think, that we get into. We, not only do we sometimes get distracted and therefore we're not waiting how we see scriptures telling us to wait, but we also try to microwave a process that God has intended us to slow cook or slow roast. I love barbecue. Anybody else love barbecue in here? Come on. We should definitely get some amens on that. The best barbecue is Bailey's in Orangeburg on 303. Oh man, I'll probably be there today actually watching some football. My family's out of town still. Anyways, before I start thinking about lunch, you know, that food, that food tastes amazing because it's in their smoker for 12 hours before it hits that plate. Imagine they started microwaving their barbecue. I think they'd lose at least one customer, probably more. And, And so there's a pitfall that we fall into 
And it's that, you know, we've gotten so accustomed to microwaving other processes that we feel like we can speed up God's timeline, that we look for shortcuts. And that never ends well. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, <laughs> that's, that's one of my areas, my shortcoming areas, is that I often try to microwave things that God's asked me to walk through slowly take shortcuts when he's told me to take the long way. And there, there's an example I'll share. I have to get a little vulnerable with you. Just this week, while I'm preparing this sermon, go figure, I think it might be the Lord. I was having a conversation with Mike, our senior pastor here. And I was, we, were, we were talking about ministry here at Risen King and ministry in Rockland County and my calling, my ministry, my destiny. And I was getting excited. And I was like, Mike, you know, we can microwave this thing. I could, you know, I see a fast track to where we want to get to. Let's do it, man. Let's microwave this. And he was like, yeah, I I see what you're saying. But um, the problem is you suck in a couple areas. (laughs) And I was like, that's not the answer I was looking for. Match my enthusiasm here. Come on. (laughs) And he said, uh, he said, look, you you know, if we microwave anything, if if you take shortcuts, to try to get where you think God's calling you or where he has called you. Um, the problem is a few years down the road, you'll be there, but you'll still suck in a couple areas. And I said, still not the answer I was looking for. But it was a great gut check for me. Let me tell you something. If you don't have somebody in your life that can tell you you suck, uh, find somebody. <laughs> I know some of us have the opposite problem. We have too many people in our life telling us that we suck. I'm not talking about negativity and, you know, critical spirits and verbal abuse at all. None of that's helpful. But Mike, after 10 plus years of being under his ministry here and serving at this church, he's earned that spot in my life where he can kind of elbow me and say, you suck, man. Get it, get it together. You need to work on this area. Because for every time he said that, he said a, a thousand, you know, good jobs. I love you. I'm proud of you. So he's earned that right. And it's such a reminder for me that the, the, the destination that God has for us is important. He's got a finish line for us to cross, but he's more concerned with the journey. He's more concerned with how we run the race, not necessarily when we finish, right? He's more concerned with the process than the product. Amen? All right. So we're going to, with that, we're going to jump into uh, our, our story. I told you we're going to get to Genesis 26, and I'm going to just set it up a little bit. Um, I do not have the actual text that we're going to be reading on the screen for you. It was a lot of text, and my fingers were tired as I was typing. So grab out your, uh, uh, pull out your Bible and go there with me. Chapter 26, verse 1. I'll just set this up a little bit. We're, we're, we're going to read about Isaac, son of Abraham, and his wife, Rebecca, living in a land where God told them to live, and then a famine hits. And when famine hits, he's, he's forced to move. He's got to move. They can't stay where the famine is. He's got to get to an area where the famine hasn't hit quite as hard. So he goes to a foreign land. And uh, that's where we'll start reading verse 1 of chapter 26. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So this is a foreign king. And the Lord appeared to him and said... Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, 
your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac hears from God in the midst of a famine. He moved to a place that he thought made sense because this area wasn't hit hard by the famine. And then God shows up and speaks to him. And he says, Isaac, my servant, you're in the right place. Stay here. I'm going to bless you. How many people would like to receive that kind of word from God? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so much. Every nation will be blessed by your offspring. Your offspring will be more numerous than the stars of the heaven. It's a great promise. If God said that to me, I'd be, you know, licking my lips, rubbing my hands, saying, how can we microwave this thing? (laughs) Let's make this happen tomorrow. You know that Isaac doesn't ever get to see that promise completely fulfilled because that promise isn't fulfilled for 400 years when Joshua leads the people of God across the Jordan River into the promised land. 400 years. So that promise sounds great until you find out how long he's going to wait for it. But here's the good news. God does eventually fulfill that promise. But he also starts fulfilling those promises even in Isaac's life. Even in his lifetime, he begins to see blessing. So we'll jump into verse 12. The only thing we're skipping there, because I ended on verse 5 and I'm going to jump into verse 12. The only thing uh, we're skipping is worth at least noting quickly. The verses we're skipping is where Isaac goes to the king and says, hey, my name's Isaac, and this is my sister, Rebecca. But it wasn't his sister, it was his wife. And it's not like a Jerry Springer type of a thing. It's the fact that um, he thought that if he said it was his wife, maybe it would cause trouble. Maybe they would try to kill Isaac and take her. But if it's his sister, there won't be any contention between him and this foreign king. So Isaac, I think, really was trying to take a shortcut. He didn't trust God for favor and protection. So he thought he'd tell a little white lie and provide some of his own protection. Go go his own way. Make his own plan. Luckily, in the verses that we're skipping, Abimelech finds out that it's really his wife, not his sister. And he says, don't ever lie to me again. (laughs) You guys go ahead and live as husband and wife, and you can stay here in the land. So God's favor was still on him. I think that's a great reminder that um, even when we screw up, God's still with us. That when we screw up, he doesn't turn his back on us and say, well, I I told you to do something, you didn't do it, or you didn't do it right, so now forget it. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of grace and favor. And the last thing I'll point out about what we're skipping is that do you know that 100 years before um, Isaac did that very thing, his father did the exact same thing? Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and told the king in a foreign land, she's my sister. And the king got mad at them. So talk about generational sins, generational strongholds and patterns. That's a real thing. So verse 12, it says this, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich. Everybody say rich. And gain more and more until he became very wealthy. Everybody say very wealthy. wealthy. I've received both of those words. Amen. (laughs) I'm only half kidding, but Lord, let it be so. (laughs) He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up 
and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. So God fulfills his promise to Isaac and he sees blessing. I mean, crazy blessing. He gets more wealthy, more mightier than the king himself. That's a crazy amount of blessing. How many people would like to see that in their life? So much wealth, so much blessing, so much favor from God that people all around you take notice. But let me tell you this. This is also sort of a cautionary tale as well. You notice that people around him became envious of him. The blessing of God actually led to people opposing him, being upset with him. When you're promoted and when you're blessed, not everybody around you is going to be happy about that. But, you know, that's not our job to fix. Isaac doesn't, you know, make any, he, he doesn't wage war with the king when the king becomes envious of him. He, he does as the king says. So the king says, you're stronger than we are. You're, you're richer than we are anyways. You're more powerful. So you need to get out. He doesn't kick him completely out of the land, but he kicks him, you know, out of the kingdom, out of the city where there's some protection. So now he's in the valley. And then this is the crux of the story. This is the heart of the story. In verse 17, we'll pick up. It says, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there another well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, this water is ours. So uh, just to recap, Isaac's in the land he's supposed to be in. The king kicks him out because of the blessing of God. Kicks him out. And now he's still in the land, and he digs a well. This is in the middle of a famine. So if you find water, <laughs> it's like finding gold. It's like striking oil. This is a precious commodity. This, this well of water is a source of life, a, a source of hope and provision and prosperity. So he finds water, and the, the king's men come and say, this water is ours, which I don't know about you, but if that was me, that would frustrate the daylights out of me. God, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm in your land. I dug a well. You blessed me. Why am I meeting this kind of opposition? So it says at the end there of verse 19 or verse 20 that Isaac named the well Esek. And Esek in Hebrew means dispute because they argued with him or contended with him. I'm telling you right now that, um, you know, when we're faced with dispute, when we're faced with opposition and our period of waiting on God to fulfill his promise to us, it's not a time to get discouraged and become passive. I think that's exactly what the enemy would like is for that dispute, that blockage, that frustration to lead to a season of passivity, to lead to a season of, of arguing and fighting for. But Isaac does something revolutionary. You know what he does? He just moves down the road a little bit. And guess what he does? Digs another well. <laughs> it's revolutionary. He just digs another well. I'm like, Isaac, you just dug a well. You know, just because these guys are coming and arguing with you, why don't you argue back? That's my shortcoming. Somebody comes and argues with me, and they're like, that dug you just well. It's on our land, so technically it's ours. I'm going to hit them with like five reasons why no, it's mine. 
And I'll probably waste a lot of time doing that. That's my shortcoming. Isaac and this revolutionary response to opposition just moves down the road and digs another well. And guess what he finds? Water. Another, another source of God's blessing and provision. Now, if you were cynical, you might say, well, why did he dig the first well? Why didn't God just tell him to dig the second well? Well, we're not finished with the story yet. He digs that well. And in verse 21 that we'll read here, it says, they dug another well. Again, they found water. And again, the herdsmen came and quarreled over that also. So he named this one Sitna, which in Hebrew means opposition. The first one's dispute. The second one's opposition. The first one's arguing. The second one is straight up fighting. Now he's dealing with somebody with like a fist clenched. Like, nah, this well's ours. Again, my shortcoming, I, I would say, all right, I'll take out my sword. <laughs> Let's fight. God called me here. He told me to dig a well. He told me he was going to bless me. Here's his blessing. Now somebody's trying to stop me from receiving this blessing. Let's go ahead and fight. The problem with that response is that we'll be fighting battles that God never told us to fight instead of digging wells that he told us to dig. And you know what's going to happen next in the story, right? Because nothing happens in twos in the Bible. Everything happens in threes. What does Isaac do? He just moves down the road and digs another well. And what does he find? Water. Again, another source of God's provision. I think this is awesome. What an example of how incredible our God is. If one well in the midst of a famine wasn't enough, let's try two wells. Oh, somebody's going to stop you there? Let's try a third well. I'll just keep giving you and keep giving you and keep giving you because he has an endless supply of water. Amen? Isn't that powerful? So he gets to the third well, he digs it, and uh, it says he moved from there, dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in this land. Rehoboth means there's room, there's space, there's plenty, because nobody quarreled with him. I'm telling you, this is such a clear picture. I know it's a simple picture of digging a few wells, but what a clear picture of what it means to wait on God. Isaac never lost faith. He never lost trust in God. He stayed hopeful. He stayed expectant. And then the other thing is he didn't get distracted. He didn't become passive. I'm telling you, I would have gotten distracted with an argument. I would have gotten distracted fighting a battle. I was never called to fight. And if that was the case, I would have missed out on the blessing of the third well. I'm telling you this morning, don't miss out on the blessing that God has for you because you get distracted at the first or the second well. Keep walking through the process. Keep seeing what he wants to do because there's blessing. There's blessing at the end of the line. Don't try to microwave it. Don't try to shortcut it. And I thought, again, The cynical standpoint would be, well, why wouldn't God just tell him to skip dispute and opposition and go right to blessing, right to Rehoboth? Because it, well, number one and number two, that's where character is formed. That's because when you, when you dig the first well and you find water, now you have trust. You can point back and say, God, remember when you gave me water. And then when you dig the second well, you can say, Lord, you gave me water again. Those guys came and they acted unjustly towards me. They called me names and said that I had to get out of their land. And, 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 you know, we could get caught up and complain in that area. But God just kept giving them water 
after water and well after well. And that developed character. That developed his faith. Isn't that awesome this morning? You know, to, to close out the story, I'll call Anwar up and we're going to end. I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I heard from God very clearly that we all needed to make kickoff today. That's why we're ending so early. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. I shouldn't have said that. But I am at the end of my sermon. And uh, I preach a little shorter than Mike, just a little shorter. Um, I'm at the end of my sermon, and I'm not going to read all 10 verses that close out this chapter, but I'll just recap it for you. That um, in verse 23 through 33, something amazing happens. Isaac is enjoying the blessing of that third well. He actually then digs another well because he's an overachiever like that. And he digs a fourth well, finds more water, and the king hears about it, and the king rides out to meet him. The king comes to him in a foreign land, and he doesn't come with a sword drawn. He comes with peace. He says, it is so clear that your God loves you. It is so clear that the favor and the blessing of God is on you, and I want to offer you peace. Make a covenant with me today that we can dwell together in this land, that I'll allow you to dwell here. You're a foreigner, but I'll allow you to dwell here in this land, and I offer you peace. As that's just over and above and beyond anything we could expect or imagine. That not only did God provide the well of blessing and provision, but he provided peace. So the contention, the opposition, the, the fighting, was over. He didn't even have to worry about that. Let's stand together. I want to pray to close out because I love, I love hearing what God has to say to us, but I think we need to receive it too. And I know we've done a lot of receiving today, um, which has been awesome in his presence. So I just want to pray a couple prayers over you. And before I pray him, I want to say this very clearly. I'm telling you today, if you feel like you've wasted time because you thought you were waiting, you know, you got distracted and passive, God is going to redeem that wasted time. I want to say this too. If you've taken some shortcuts or you've been trying to microwave things because you don't want to deal with dispute and you don't want to deal with opposition because you get frustrated and then, and then you lash out and your anger gets out of control and your fear gets out of control and your anxiety gets out of control. If that's you today, know this, that God has a plan for you. I think the key here is that we lean in with expectancy and an intense focus to hear what activity he's calling us to. Because if we're not leaning in, we don't know what activity he has for us. We don't know what steps he's ordaining for us. But when you're leaned in, you know that what you're doing is what he's called you to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would download to us, your people, this redemption of wasted time. That you would come and redeem it. Lord, we choose to be a people that lean in and wait on you with expectancy, with hope, with joy, with trust, with focus. Lord, we choose to be a people and may we be a people that are marked by ordained activity. A people that when we act, you come alongside us and make what's natural, supernatural. 
that we would be a people that wouldn't be fighting battles you never called us to fight, but digging the wells that you're calling us to dig. And God, may we be a people that are marked by your prosperity, your provision, and your peace. And we say that together, Lord, I receive your prosperity, your provision, and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Isn't God good? Amen. Thanks for being here. Enjoy the rest of the day. We'll see you next week.